Welcome back to another episode of Backlash Podcast. This week we have a whole host of characters. Matt Seifert's back. Chase is back. Brad's back. Jake Baddock's back. Carrie's back. Everybody's here. So we like a Royal Rumble of musky information this week. We want to thank everybody for coming out and listening to us again. Hey guys, how is it going? Let's start with Matt. Matt, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Uh, got back up to Brad's a couple days ago. Uh, it's September. Fish have been moving. We're catching fish. It's good. Everything's pushed up shallow from the cold fronts. and I'm getting over a cold, but we're having a good time fishing. So That's good. Chase, how are things going with you? It's good to have you back on again. Doing great, Jeff. Can't seem to leave Brad and Carrie's house here in Minnesota and go back home to my real life, but fishing's <laughs> been great. Catching quite a few fish, a couple big ones. It's, it's been a blast, of course. I was going to ask you, are you ever going back home? Yeah, I don't know about that. I still got to figure that out. <laughs> uh, he'll turn into a popsicle sooner or later up here. Yeah, it is getting cold every morning. Every morning, just a little bit more cold for my southern skin. Right. I'll just wait till October. You'll have no problems going back home. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> Brad, what's your story? It's been, uh, I don't know, a little while since we had you on a podcast. I know you jumped in for one episode, but for the most part, you've been non-existent for the last uh, four episodes. What's up with you? I've been a little busy being on the water, Jeff, and uh, you know what that brings. Basically, just uh, fishing every day, trying to do some work in the shop to help cover the bases for Carrie. Life has been busy, that's for sure. Jake. What's up with you? I don't know. We haven't had you on a podcast since like episode six or something like that. What's up? How's how's fishing there? Do you you pretty much live there too, don't you? You and Chase got to yeah. fight for a bed or what? Yeah, we arm wrestle for it, and not usually, but yeah, I've uh, kind of made a home away from home up here. I've actually spent a lot more time fishing Minnesota waters this year than my home water, so that's kind of a blessing. I love it up here. So I went home for a couple weeks, and then I just had to come back up. So uh, fishing's been good. We've had a pretty good year. It's been slow as far as numbers, but we've got some good size fish. And, uh, I mean, every year is different, you know, on the water. This Mother Nature hasn't been too nice to us back home. I think our water temperatures are finally back down, so it'll be nice getting back out there when I do go home. We'll figure out when that is. But, uh, yeah, I've been doing really good. Can't complain at all. It's been a great year. Last but not least, Carrie, how are you doing this week? Very thankful that you've been able to fill in for Brad the last couple of weeks. So how are, how are things with you? I'm good. I'm good. It's kind of like the same old, same old for me. Right. Well, you're, you know, you've been here every week, so it's, you know, just back to the same grind, but. <laughs> you forget really, really fast on how many weeks I skipped before I'd been here for right. like the last four weeks. Well, that's <laughs> right. I got a pretty short memory. So I, you know, once Brad <laughs> returns, I, I'll forget that he abandoned me. It's okay. So. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds about right. If you knew how to stay up at night, it wouldn't even be a problem. Jeff. I do stay up at night, but I'm working still at night, so it interrupts my flow if I podcast till midnight. Then I got more work to do the next day. It just compounds upon itself. So it's all good. Everything will be fine. We'll get back to a regularly scheduled podcasting thing whenever. It doesn't matter. Whatever. We're, we're putting out content, and people seem to be listening at least. I don't know if they like it or not, but they're at least listening, so that's good. This week, we're going to talk about, uh, we're going to start out with figure eighting. We had a question. Somebody wanted to know, uh, let's see here. You got a hot fish coming in on big blades, 
Some fish will go around two or three times. Others come and go and then head back. Uh, do you go back on them with the same presentation? Do you switch it up to cranks or rubber? So, Mr. Seifert, uh, we probably actually shouldn't have you go first because nobody else is going to get to talk. But you want to talk a little bit about your thoughts on, on figure eighting, and then we'll kind of talk. because so we have a pretty good range of you know characters here today. We got some... You know, we got Chase that's doing West Virginia. We got you in Minnesota, Brad in Minnesota. We got Jake in Indiana. And then I fish once in a while in Wisconsin. So, you know, Brad, why don't you start it out, and then we'll uh, we'll, we'll get a little bit of word from everybody. Well, you know, it's pretty interesting, Jeff. It's September. It's figure eight time of the year, basically. You know, it seems like the fish really start to turn on when these first cold fronts where they're going to charge the boat. So figure eights really become essential knowing exactly how you're going to go into that presentation is important. We'll get there. But one thing that I want to talk about is yesterday, the three of us were actually filming one of our uh, Mayhem's 10,000 casts that's, that'll be coming out on KOTV this winter. And it was pretty wild. Chase had a fish on a flap tail, the bomb squad flap. And it kind of like chugged and ate his bit just a little bit, but it was more like a nip yesterday. The next time he cast out there, I mean, he literally cast on this fish three times, and that fish moved three times on it. Finally, Jake was standing in the middle. He whips out trigger. a trigger, and that fish just comes in supercharged. But it, it, it's being really goofy, you know? And then Matt's in the back throwing a cowgirl and actually gets it to move one more time. The weird part about all of this is, you know, you have to read each individual fish. Every lake actually has a different method when it comes to figure eighting as well. And so, I mean, take it all with a grain of salt. But the neat thing is that I, mean, I guess we're we're living it right now, so we can talk all about this. Well, yeah, I mean, September, all these fish are up shallow. And it's active. This is my favorite month of fish. I think it's most people's favorite month of fish. Fish are keyed up. And like Brad said, with different lakes, different figure eight methods, some lakes you fish, you know, super slow figure eights always work in the summer or the best way to catch them is super slow figure eights and like Lake Vermilion, super fast usually works the best. But this time of year, it seems like fast is always good. The fish are keyed up. I mean, this is the, one of the funnest times to fish. Fish are shallow, especially on cold fronts, but cold nights every night in September pushes up most of the fish up shallow. So it kind of keeps rolling all, all of September. But yeah, that, the speed thing for me in September is usually key, but like Brad said, you have to read each fish. I mean, and we're fishing shallow water, so a lot of your figure eights where you're usually, you know, deep, slow, all the way down to the reel sometimes to get your bait down eight feet in the figure eight. That's not happening because you're in three feet of water. So a lot of things change in September, but reading the fish to me is always the key as you, you know, every turn of the handle, you watch that fish's reaction, whether you're speeding up or slowing down. And, and when I go back on fish this time of year, I know someone that asked the question there was asking about going back on a fish. I usually keep the same bait on, or I might switch colors, but I mean, this time of year in the shallow water, you're pretty much burning bucktails or fishing topwater anyway, so the bait options aren't as available as deep water, but. I think um, it, it becomes less critical on the bait sometimes when you're in that shallow water too. It, it's based upon burning, keeping that bait moving. The bottom line is, is when you approach the the boat with your bait you definitely want to try to take it as deep as you can if you're in three feet of water it's tough but the first maneuver coming into the boat should always be all the way to the boat 
and try to get your rod down and go into your first L turn. Yeah, try to get that rod down as far as you can. Keep the fish's eyes off of you. Mr. Chase well, Gibson, think, uh, you got something in there? Yeah, I was just going to add to what they just said there. What I've really learned in the past two or three years is that your figure eight starts way before you're even close to the boat. It, it starts halfway in on the cast. I don't know how many times when I was guiding this spring and, and I'm trying to explain that to these, to my clients and uh, what they kept doing was as soon as they get to the boat, then their brain goes, okay, I'm switching from the cast to the figure eight. And then they slam the rod in the water and they start to figure eight. And I was just trying to, to teach them that they need to slowly make that transition from cast to figure eight. That way you're not slamming that rod in there every time. Just in case you do have a fish that is finicky, I think it's a lot better than slamming the rod in there. So you get your rod and you just slowly start putting in the water. And as soon as you get up, just say an inch from your leader, I go down deep, come up high on the right-hand corner, hang it for a second. And if that fish is there, just start reading it from that point on. Or if it's out on the cast, if, if it's coming screaming up on a bucktail, I like to just burn it. I always want that bait as far away from that fish as I can possibly get it. Like they said, every lake's different. Every fish is different. Structure has a lot to do with it. Up here, it's a completely different world to what I'm used to fishing. It's weeds and flats and sand and barren, really, compared to what I'm used to. Uh, a lot of times we're fishing laydowns and standing timber, and these fish can literally just come out of absolutely nowhere come out from behind a tree out from inside of a tree it's insane and uh but that that makes a big difference on what i'm casting back at that fish a lot of times if i raise that fish on a bucktail uh, i really like throwing back a, some kind of rubber bait nine times out of ten it's a it's a medusa if that fish was fired up it's it, i'm gonna be going back on it with rubber uh, if it was if it was lazier i like going back on it with either the same bait or uh diving rise i'm really big into diving rise down there and i do very well on it and and diving rise you can work it fast you can work it slow but i just let the fish of course read the fish the longer you do this the more you get uh practice at reading that fish and that's all that figure eight is about there's no set in stone to do a figure eight this way it's all about reading that fish once you get good at reading the fish you get a lot better at catching fish on the figure eight i think chase brought up a really valid point too and that's that not slamming the rod in the water. Any kind of quick motion or movement in the boat, a lot of times you give yourself away as well. I mean, you almost want to get tiny in that boat and kind of hide from that fish's eyes. And I think that's where he's going when he says, don't slam that rod into the water. It makes perfect sense. You definitely don't want quick movements. I do think that like red coats and chartreuse, and bright colors sometimes give you away as well. It's pretty amazing, but uh, Try to keep calm. That's another big, huge part to this. Stay calm. Go down into that figure eight gently and then light it up. Try not to scream, oh my gosh, there's a giant fish behind my bait. <laughs> they tend to not like to hear that. And just try to be smooth with everything. I've seen, especially with pressured water and then big fish, if you you have a perfect L turn and then say you hang it in that first turn, and uh, if you rip it out of there and make a lot of noise with your rod, that fish will do a U-turn so fast. Um, you just got to be smooth with it and then give it gas slowly, but you, you want to give it speed. If you're all herky-jerky with your rod and stuff, I've seen fish just turn off so bad. But um, And then with Chase, what he was talking about, like halfway out on the cast, if you see a fish and you think you're burning, give it gas. 
because a lot of times they'll crush it before it gets to the boat. We've seen that um, two days ago where a fish, I mean, Brad told me, hey, hit hit the gas. And I mean, the, as soon as I did that fish's fins comes out of the water and it charged into the boat, crush it first turn. But I've had it too, where as soon as you give it two cranks of some high speed, they'll just come to the side of it and T-bone it. Um, so there is a point where you can just trigger them before it even gets to the eight. And a lot of times that works out pretty good too. Yeah, I think one of the most common mistakes, especially with newer anglers, is they will go into their figure eight, say, six feet from the boat. I mean, we're running nine foot, ten foot rods, and instead of coming to the boat, they'll start their turn out away from the boat, and they corner themselves every time. You start cornering yourself, the fish is gone. It's not going to do anything with it. So definitely make sure you come to the boat before you make your first L turn. It's definitely important. Another little thing that, that I really thought of this spring was uh, if you're standing in your boat on your front deck and you have your cast out there, just draw a perfect line from between your feet straight out of the boat. If your bucktail is coming in from the left side of that line, your, your first turn needs to be going to the right. And if it's coming from the right side of the line, it needs to go to the left. Because I've seen it a lot. Guys have a tough time when they get that lure to the boat, they don't know which way to go. And that was the best way I could think to explain it to someone. Like, like if your boat's going down a, a bank and your bait's coming in behind the boat, you're obviously not going to turn left, which I've, you do have people that do that. And you will do that sometimes, but you try not to make that turn so sharp. Because if you turn left and your boat's already going to down the, the bank to the right, then your first turn is minimal. It's tiny. You always want to make that turn as giant as you can get it. But the, the line thing is something that I thought of this spring, and I, I think it's the easiest way to explain to someone. It's just, it just gives you a very easy way to quickly tell which direction you need to go immediately. And uh, one thing I will say, I've heard a lot of people talking about if you're shorter, you don't need a 10-foot rod. I completely disagree. I'm 5'8 on a good day. That 10-foot rod is going to give you such big turns. I mean, there is, and that is so key, especially with big fish. You want to give them as much room as possible to work with. I think Brad mentioned it first, but get, you know, you push that rod down, keep that fish's eyes away from you. You transition and I swing my rod way to the left to come into that right turn. So I swing my rod as far left as I can to that make that nice L turn. But I think that the main key here is toes to the edge of the boat too. Cause that, I call it home base. So when my rod's straight down, I almost want it under the boat so that as I come into that first turn, I'm pushing my rod straight down so that fish's eyes go under the boat. And if you're standing two feet, three feet back from the edge of the boat, you're not going to do a good figure eight. And that's home base for me. That's where I always come back to. So I come in under that boat at my toes and then I run alongside of the boat before I lift to do my stall. And what Jake was saying about that, not ripping it away after you stall out on that first turn, you slow down up high stall it and then you just push your rod back down to home base you don't have to pull or do anything you just push that rod tip back down to your toes and it creates a perfect turn and there's never a splash there's no big bubble trail on your rod tip either but i just call it home base my feet so if you can bring your rod back to that edge of that boat every time after your big turn so push your rod tip down speed up on your straightaway back and then lift up again for your stall but then same thing you're going to push back down to home base so, Matt, you're a figure eight guy. Yeah. Chase, what do you prefer to do? A big oval or a figure eight? Honestly, it depends on the fish. If it's right behind it, 
I like just the giant oval because that way I can get that long straightaway even faster. Jake or Jake? I'm figure eight almost every time, unless it's a super negative fish and it just seems like it's not liking it. I'll switch it up and throw an oval in there to see what the fish does. But majority of the time, I'm doing figure eight. Brad? I'm just churning the butter. (laughs) 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 No, uh, again, I, I would say that I go. I'll do an oval sometimes, and I'll do a figure eight at times. It depends on if I've cornered myself a lot of times. If I corner myself, that oval becomes really important. But if I have the room to maneuver, you know, you might have, like, where we're fishing the last couple days here, we're fishing in shallow, shallow water with a ton of weeds. I mean, there's so much crap. Sometimes you got to steer around those weeds to actually get that fish to eat as well. I mean, there's a lot going on in your mind at that time. And it becomes a cat and mouse game. And if you feel like the oval's got the right key at that moment, that's where you go. Otherwise, it is an eight. I've switched over the years. I'm doing more of an eight than I used to do more ovals back in the day. But it all depends on that fish. And that's just experience. I don't know that you can actually, well, when the fish does this, you do this. You can't teach that. It's something that you learn with with experience and time on the water. Definitely not an oval guy, but I do utilize them for lazy fish. So if I come in, I speed up, the fish doesn't speed up. I go back to my regular cadence, start my turn. I stall it high on that right, on my right side. And that fish isn't coming up because I won't take a bait away from a fish until it's mouth actually touches the back hook or the skirt. I let them just put just about touch it. And then I slowly take it away from them to get them up to speed. So a lot of times those lazy fish will stall out and kind of look, you know, just kind of stop by the boat. So I'll do the slowest oval I possibly can so shoot and get it over her head if I can or behind her eyeballs, which a lot of times they'll eat it then if you can get it behind their eyes but when they're just sitting there. But if you can get them to come up and get on that skirt and then slowly take it away, then I'll go into my figure eight. But I have to do that oval sometimes to get that fish to come up because it's so lazy. And if you just start figure eighting, it, then it just leaves. So that's when I utilize the oval but. I really do believe they're right eye dominant. So I think that left turn is huge. I don't like, I don't even let them like to eat on that right turn. I see them miss it a lot. So that first turn, I always take it away and try to get them on the left with the eight. Cause as soon as I go in front of their right eye, they seem to grab it way better. So, but the oval definitely does work for the lazy fish. You need to have that in your arsenal for sure. I think lazy fish too, uh, speed becomes important. I'm not talking about necessarily going fast. I call it the eight inch rule. If you can keep that bait hovering in front of their face, eight inches, they speed up, you speed up. You just try to keep that eight inches in front of their face. They slow down, you slow down. If they're really, really sluggish, I've had a really good results by doing that. I will say one thing, maybe you guys can agree or disagree. Novice musky anglers tend to slow down in the figure eight more than speed up. I think speed is definitely the trigger. Yeah, I would agree with that completely. Yeah. I do. I think it depends on where you're at. Like when I came up here and fished with Brad, my mind was blown about his eight inch rule. On my lake, when I when I have a fish coming in, if that bait is not trying to get away from that fish as fast as it can possibly do it, your chances of catching that fish go very down tremendously. And that was hard for me to comprehend when i first came up here but i've watched it work many times now uh i do think a, a newer guy in the sport um the reason they slow down is probably because they're staring at the fish i mean when you're when you first get into musky fish and you're thinking about this fish that everyone wants to catch and it's a very hard fish to catch 
and it's some mythical creature. So when you see one, it's kind of a big deal. So your jaws dropped to the bottom of the boat and you're looking at this big fish and you're not even thinking about catching it at this point. You're just looking at this big, beautiful muskie. And, and what you need to be thinking is, oh my gosh, I need to speed up. Or you need to be reading that fish to see what that thing wants that day. Once you get to that point where you're like, okay, there's a muskie and you're not freaking out anymore. And then you start learning to read the fish's body language and, and give it what it wants. You will start to catch a lot more fish on the figure eight. It's just, uh, it always bugs me how everyone thinks the figure eight is such a set in stone thing. It's, it's not at all. Every fish is completely different. Um, they all want completely different speeds, completely different turns. It's it just very day by day basis for me, at least. Yeah, it's cat and mouse game. I mean, yeah. you're fishing fish that are like a cat sleeping in a window. You got a you got a toy mouse and you're messing around with it. So you got to keep that thing away from the fish for sure. If they wanted to eat your bucktail, they would have ate it the second they saw it. I mean, they swim 37 miles an hour. They're not. You can't reel fast enough. So they're not hungry. They're just curious so if you can keep keep it away and make them mad they want to touch it they don't have any arms so they can't touch it they're going to bite it they want to know what it is they're curious so that's the only reason they followed your bait if you can get them mad enough that they can't quite get close enough to touch it they'll eventually grab it keep away is definitely the trick for sure and every lake seems to be different all the way from indiana i mean i'm like chase you can't go fast enough sometimes but then there's days there that you have to go slow and do that eight inch rule like Brad talks about. And then up here in Western Minnesota, like Chase saying, I first time I came up here, it's like, what? You want to just go as slow as the fish is kind of going? And then you go to other places in Minnesota and that's not the same thing. So you almost have to figure it out for the body of water you're on for that week and how the fish are acting. So it takes a couple of fish every now and then to you'd be like, okay, they're coming in sluggish today. I got to kind of make this adjustment. You, you kind of just go, you react with what the fish is kind of telling you to do. So, I mean, obviously if fish are coming in hot, you can, you want to hang it, be smooth in that first turn and then come out of it and give it speed through that straight. Don't let the fish eat it in the straight for all you can, you, you will lose most of the fish that eat it in the straight, at least in my experience. One thing I do going back to the figure eight, I like it because it's, there's two points where it gives the fish a really good shot at eating that bait. Because you put it up high for them and slow it down two times. If they're going to eat it in that first turn, I let I let them eat it. <laughs> but, but, you know, you, you uh, yeah, that's one thing with the eight that I prefer over the oval. But the oval can be powerful. I've seen that, too. I think right now, Jeff, you know, one of the things, too, about a figure eight oval doesn't matter what you're going to do in the boat. But you're changing direction times two. You're changing it in depth because you're coming in. You're going deep by the boat. You're coming back out high away from the boat and then you have the eight as well or the oval where you're actually changing that that baits direction continually that's something that's really important i think what we should do now is transition into you know what you do when that fish does eat let's talk about hook sets that's good that you went there because that's where i was actually thinking i was going to ask you guys on your hook set I talked to Jeff Hansen down in Madison about it, and he tells me he doesn't set the hook at all. All he does is just let the fish eat. As soon as he feels the weight, he basically just drags the thing around until he can get it to the net. Why don't you guys talk a little bit about it? Either one can go first. Any of you guys just jump in. I'm not completely like that. I have a hard time, and just because I haven't done it, is completely setting back into the fish. But I'll do it like, like I said, if you eat in the or if they eat in the straight, there's no good hook set there. Um, in the corner, if you get them to eat it, you pull the rod kind of down towards you, and it 
So you're not completely set back on the fish, but you're not just pulling. So you still get that good hook set. And you, I've heard Billy Beekner talk about you kind of just pull the rod into your stomach and then it'll set the hook on that fish real good. Almost, almost like finishing your turn. Yeah, I, I think, you know, what Billy talked about in our old video years ago, it's like the safest, securest way for most people. If you don't know where to go when you're setting in a figure eight, maybe you're lost. You don't know where that fish ate it, whatever. If you pull back into your body, generally speaking, that will save your whole results. But I still like to go back on the fish. And, um, you know, let's just practice. As you all know, I mean, it takes time to really get in tune with what you're doing in a boat. And over a period of time, you're going to actually start getting that experience and it's invaluable. I mean, it's amazing. Time on the water will definitely make a difference. Matt, maybe you can jump in there, Chase. Yeah, I've had it where when I set back on the fish, if it's a full, like right over its back into the tail, if it ate on the oval or it comes in so hot, I don't even have time to put the rod tip down because I know it's going to eat it under my feet in the straightaway, and I don't want that. I'll just cut the corner quick and then get the bait over to the left so I can get a better hook set to the right. So I reel right-handed, so I always want to set the hook to the right. I'll sometimes cut the fish off with a hard left turn without even going down if it's that hot. And I just shoot it out to my left and it's straight away, stop the bait, eats it, and set back over its tail that way. And that works really good. But I've I actually had there's just remember, I think some of the best fishermen I've ever seen that kind of set down, like Jake was talking about. They seem to hook everyone, um, kind of finishing their turn by hooking down back to yourself obviously which is kind of the opposite way the fish is moving but or 90 degrees from it i've actually had a few fish eat baits where they eat the entire bait and i'm like oh man set back on it and it opens its mouth and the bait leverages out of its mouth i've lost quite a few fish doing that i mean it's all personal but it just that coming back towards yourself like jake was saying i mean obviously you don't want to pull the way the fish is moving at all you want to not even set straight up you want to come back on it somehow 90 degrees or straight back or whatever you got to do but definitely don't set the way the fish is swimming and that's with the the biggest thing with setting it back into you it helps with nipping fish we've been dealing with that a lot lately but if you think you see that fish eat it and it didn't eat it and you set back you're done i mean that lure is going the opposite direction where if you pull down and it's like Matt saying, it's like you're going into your coming out of that turn. So you're coming down to you anyway. But if so, if that fish nips it, your bucktail is right in line for that next turn. So, and I've seen it from fish try to eat two or three times. And if I would have tried to step back, I would have been done. But yeah. then I ended up getting the fish because it, it still kept the bucktail going smooth. I've, I've had a discussion with a friend this spring about this, and I was telling him that I did not think that setting back into the fish was very smart. I, I was very debating that. It just didn't make sense in my head that day. And possibly maybe an hour later, uh, I have this fish come screaming in on a, on a detonator, actually, and I pulled it up on the first corner. That fish T-bones that bait, and guess what I do? I set right back into the fish. And I get in the bag and I look at him. I said, I just sat right back in the fish, didn't I? He said, yeah. I said, well, I guess I just sat back in it. <laughs> so uh, I started paying attention to it, honestly, ever since then. Most of the time I'm setting back in that fish, but I've heard a lot of people say set back over their head. And I don't really necessarily agree with that. What I like to do is I try to think about how to get that, that hook in the corner of its jaw. So if that fish eats it out on that right-hand corner, 
I like setting the rod kind of parallel with the water and into the corner of that fish's mouth. I don't like going straight up over them, but it all depends. And, I, and I've had exactly what Matt's talking about. I'll, I'll never forget this. I've had multiple fish come up and, and have a regular Medusa completely gone. Like you can see half the leader. That thing is all the way down that fish's throat. And you go to drive the, the wood to that thing. And it, it just, that bait pops right out. That fish just opens up its mouth and that bait comes flying right back out. It, it, it amazes me how easily those fish can get that bait in their mouth and how fast they can get it out. It's, it's unbelievable at times, but it, it all depends on the fish and where they eat it. But I think back into them, try to get the hook in the corner of the mouth. Always try to go to the corner of their mouth for me. That's one thing. I mean, I remember the first time I got bit in a figure eight with a beaver it ate the whole entire, it was like a 54 inch or eats the whole bait. It's gone. Like Chase said, two inches a liter in its mouth. And I sat straight back. It ate on a straight, I just ripped. It wouldn't eat the figure eight at all. It was hot though. So I just did a huge, almost fast as I could go behind the boat and just stop the bait. She eats the whole thing way out behind the boat. I sat completely opposite and I watched the leader go right to the corner of her mouth. She opened her mouth and the the head of the beaver just leveraged Ray on the corner of the mouth. And I watched the whole beaver come out and like, Oh, and it was a giant fish. And, uh, that's why I started putting a front hook on the beaver. But then also that one, I saw it so plainly on such a giant fish. That's when I stopped setting completely straight back on it. So that, you know, downward kind of, you know, 45 degree angle back at it was, seems to work better, like better chance of getting a hook in that corner of the mouth. That's uh, something back to the figure eight discussion. The oval thing is kind of, it's not something that I've done a ton of uh, until this year. For whatever reason, this year I've done a lot better on ovals. And I am i don't know if it's because the fish are just used to everyone uh, figure eighting. But I've definitely done a lot better on ovals this year than I ever have before. And it just seems to, it's almost like they've never seen it before. And I just think it's because of pressure and people, everyone else is figure eighting, do something a little bit different oval. And then once they get caught on to that, I'll be doing out there doing figure sevens and figure sixes and <laughs> figure elevens. And, you know, you got to change it up every once in a while, Jeff. So, Matt, I heard you talk about adding a front hook to a beaver bait. Why don't you talk a little bit about that? I don't know that a lot of guys are doing that. Yeah, they headhunt those baits almost always. They're on the front hook. So then I've had, I don't know, about 50% of them now are actually on the front hook. So just where you hook on your leader um, I'm just putting a split ring and a hook right on the, uh, leader tie there. So, and then I hook the leader on above that obviously, but, or you can put two split rings on it, hook your leader to the split ring above the hook. So yeah, I'm just putting it right on the nose of the bait and it seems to work pretty good. Got my hooking percentage doubled up on the beaver for sure. I think it's really important actually for that bait. I'm sure a lot of our listeners will find that useful. I know it's becoming a, seems like it's becoming more and more of a popular bait. Yeah, new baits are always funny. It's like the fish sometimes need a little adjustment time to really start chowing on them. But that's a good bait for me. There's some lakes it doesn't work very good for me, but other lakes it's it's an amazing bait. So I do like that bait. But yeah, front hook on it definitely helps. All right, well, let's transition a little bit. Let's talk about what's going on in the water right now, like what kind of tips and tactics or whatever you're using right now. What are you seeing in the water? You know, you guys have all been out there. What are you seeing these days? I think it, it's based upon weather, Jeff, and everybody that's listening has got a little bit different weather pattern. Chase will be heading back home to West Virginia to start guiding here shortly when his water temps start to drop. And it, it's really fun to, to be able to talk to 
somebody like Chase and you talk to Jake and how they start transitioning, they're probably about a month, month and a half behind Minnesota, probably Wisconsin. So it's, it's interesting. But as you start getting these first cold fronts, the fish are going to definitely push more shallow. And that's kind of what's been taking place over the last two weeks. The problem is, is we're halfway between that transition and uh, we get these little warm ups as well. I think it's going to be in the 80s again this weekend. And it makes it challenging. You know, the fish push shallow, you get a nice bright sunny day and it warms up big time. Guess what? They're going to push back out. So you have to make the adjustments daily on the water. Yeah, I mean, September's known for that shallow water bite. Sometimes it's a reed bite. The rocks get going, shallow rocks, all the shallow sand gets going. But like Brad said, it's a bummer when we get these warm, and it's been unseasonally warm this year, which has been, I mean, I've had a tough year all year, but that's a worst-case scenario in September when you see those 80-degree days. I don't know what it is for you guys fishing. It's It messes everything up. You want that... You want the temperature to drop and you don't want it to fall out. Like if you lose seven degrees in a week, that's going to also make it tough, at least in Indiana, from my experience. Because I think we're sitting right around 77 now. And so those fish are still out deep. But once you get to that 72 degrees, that's when things really turn on for us down there. It's kind of like September fishing is kind of early October, late September there. Same deal as what we're doing up here right now. Um, but, and, but we don't have cabbage really. So we're a little bit farther off the weeds because you just can't milk oil so thick. You can't, you got to fish the edge in certain spots, but then once it starts dying down, those fish will creep right on top of it and get right on top of the flats. And so it's game on when 72 degrees comes. Yeah. It's a, it's a lake thing too. You know, some of the lakes that we've been, uh, fishing, we've been driving like an hour, hour and a half every day checking things out on different bodies of water and having some fun exploring and what have you. And those lakes are different than some of my home bodies of water. You know, some of my home bodies of water, those fish will push shallow, but not as shallow as they do on a lot of other systems. And so it's something to consider as well. You need to check out all those depths. One day it's three feet, one day it's eight feet. The next day it might be 15 feet and it's back to three feet overnight because you had a really, really good cool down. You know, the the air temps drop down into the 40s. They might push up really tight, and it might just be bare sand. you got to check every little little option, and it's a daily process each day. It's a fishing. I fished the Frank with Donnie Manns this past weekend. We started out, I want to say, the first day. Was it Saturday that was 82? Or is it Friday? Friday. So they were... They were being weird, but you would get those ones that kind of go kamikaze on your bucktail, but they were all... So early in the morning, we got one to eat in about two feet of water. And then it, uh, so that kind of, it was like two to four feet that day. It was the sweet spot. Then we kind of pushed out the six feet in the afternoon. And it was almost like we were intercepting the fish as either they were moving out or moving in. And that's what we were trying to put our finger on is what they're doing. But once that 82 degrees day was over and we were thinking, oh, the next morning they're going to be shallow. They're going to be going. They shut them down hard. And then. So we had to, we fished shallow at first, and then we pushed back, we pushed to that mid-depth, and then we got out on the break lines, and then Donnie started getting bites. Leave no stone unturned. So you want to try all your options when stuff goes bad like that. But if you're seeing fish shallow on a certain day, you just keep going. And if they're telling you, if they stop moving or whatever, don't be scared to try a different depth. Those warm-ups this time of year can 
always move the fish back out. So you got to keep moving all the time. We did that yesterday. We had a second day of the cold front. We had a few fish left in the shallows that were willing to move, but they were super window oriented. What just did nothing for hours. And then all of a sudden they just go nuts. But the fish on the outer breaks, you could actually get to move. We Once we started fishing, they were more spread out on the deeper breaks. But we had a slide out yesterday to get some fish moving. Do you see a lot of that shallow stuff in West Virginia, Chase? Yeah, generally in there in late September. I, I think we, we don't really get a very good shallow bite but until later in the fall for whatever reason. This time of year, they do a lot of transitioning. So mainly my first couple cool downs, I'll try a little bit of shallow in a couple areas that generally hold fish. And then I catch a lot more fish, though, on the main lake that's going to different areas of the lake this time of year. Main lake points, laydowns, uh, you can crawl some open water this time of year. It's honestly a lot different than what most people are talking about doing. Um, and I just think those fish, this is the time of year that they're moving from their summer places to their fall places. And once they get to those fall places, then they do get really shallow. Um, I can catch them on topwaters and bucktails just like we are up here right now. But that's that's not till mid-October generally for me. Early October, mid-October. But the whole month of September is just, for us, as we have crazy weather. And up here, they're having it too. But one day, it'll be 80. The next day, it'll be high of 60. I mean, it's just up and down. So I, I don't think those fish completely leave the area if they are shallow. I think they just pull off a little bit deeper. And and some of them, honestly, I think they stay up in that shallow water. I don't think that every time there's a warm-up, they're like, okay, now i got to swim back out. And then that night, they're like, okay, I'm going back up shallow. I, I don't think they do that. Uh, I think some do, but I think a lot of them are just sitting there, and they are just – it just turns them off. And and the only way you can get them to eat is either on a window or, or really ripping or burning something past their head. I think reaction strike is – a very key thing when things are tough is just fish as fast as possible and it will hurt you at times but it, i've had it help me a lot more than hurt all transitions is definitely something weird and i've heard a lot of different things from a lot of different people but we, we get that shallow bite but it's uh it's never like you you hear about cave run or or up here where they're in two foot of water and there's just tons and tons of fish up there it's, it's a little bit later for me at least in west virginia I think the neat thing about West Virginia, you know, if you think about it, it's basically in the Appalachians where, where Chase is fishing. It's big, deep cuts. His his size of his flats, that shallow area, is a lot smaller than probably anywhere, if you really think about it. Oh, yeah. It. We, we barely, I mean, you can barely call him a flat. It's right. So, biggest one I can think of, I mean, it might be, it might go 75 to 100 yards out in the middle of the lake, and it's... 13 foot deep maybe and it's just a grad we don't really have flats it's just gradual drops you got steep banks and you got a gradual drop hopefully there's weeds on it most time there's not but hopefully there is this year <laughs> it's uh it just it's weird like cave run they got that big zippo flat and all these flats we don't really have that back of our coves there's a couple places that are somewhat of a flat but they're not very big uh, but those fish do get in those areas but that is a good point there brad the uh, it might be why I don't have a great shallow bite is because I don't have the shallow structure for them to get on real good this time of year. But like I said, I do get a few on it, just not a ton, but that might be because I don't have a ton of shallow water fishing uh, as far as weeds and less than two foot of water. Yeah, so we'll keep 
fishing shallow here for a couple weeks and hopefully the fish stay up there and should be good till the end of september well we don't see the transition here in minnesota till you know that first week of october when we're getting close to turnover here so for now it's all fun and games top water and bucktails for now but how about you see the same thing in wisconsin then jeff i assume yeah we definitely see it i haven't seen it as much right now i mean there's there's fish up shallow but it doesn't seem like there's piles of them like there would be kind of like you guys were talking about it seems like day in day out depending on what the temperature is doing it's they've they've been sliding in and sliding out but we've definitely been able to catch some shallow i mean it's been decent enough but i wouldn't say it's like on fire but it's been you know it's been solid yeah that's good that's how it's been here too we keep getting those hot days it kind of screws things up but that's been the whole summer i guess yeah, that's what I was going to say. We keep getting those warm days over here, too, much like you guys have talked about. I think this coming weekend, they're they're calling for right around 80, which I don't like. You know, anytime the water's warming in September, I'm not a big fan of. No. This pattern can ride out into October, just depending on what this weather does. You know, every year's a little different. So, I don't know. We'll keep you posted on kind of what's been taking place. But it's interesting, you know, when you network with a bunch of people throughout the state, potentially even out of the state, and, you know, when you're networking like that, you have the opportunity to kind of share different ideas and thoughts, and it keeps you in the game. Well, I think if you guys remember last year, I think I'd rather have this. Last year, right about mid-September, I think if I remember right, it got cold for like a week or two weeks or whatever it was. It was ridiculous. I think we went through, then we burned through turnover all the way, like, or, I don't know, like by the end of September? Well, turnover pretty much ended the uh, with a giant snowstorm. Matt happened to be here. He was guiding. I uh, jumped in the boat with him a couple days just because uh, he decided to troll. So I said, well, I'll be an extra line. How much snow did we get then? It was uh, like the second week of October. It was stupid. Shoveling. You were shoveling. 10 inches of snow or something. Out of his boat, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I remember that. We were thinking, is the water going to turn over in September last year? I do remember that. It was almost too cold. But that's, I mean, shoot, the last couple of years, it's been that way. Muskie fishing's been tough. We've had crazy weather patterns. We can just get a nice, it's always nice when the weather's steady and slow. Everything happens slow and steady, but it hasn't been that way the last couple of years. But whatever, you just adapt. And hopefully this September just kind of stays like this and eventually just keeps those 50-degree nights just keep rolling around and turn into 45-degree nights and slow and steady. Would be nice, but we'll see. Either way, it was just you do what you got to do every day: read the fish, try your spots. And the nice thing is, when you find those shallow spots that are good, you know, it's easy to know if there's fish there. You can see them with your eyes half the time if they're not following bait. So you know if they're there or not. There's they can't hide as well in two feet of water as they can in thirty. So that's a nice benefit. That's what makes September so fun. I think so. One one cool thing, Jeff, that was uh, pretty wild last week, a year ago when Matt was here, I think it was the same week, we did some filming. We uh, we filmed this pro staff profile that's on YouTube. And I think uh, the one day you end up catching this fish, it's blind in its right eye. It's just a big white eye. He caught that fish. The next day, we're cruising through the same shallows. I go, there's a fish there. And I take the underwater camera and I get a bunch of good underwater footage of him. It's just sitting there, won't move for nothing. About a week ago, I'm about 100 yards from where Matt had caught that fish and we had filmed it the next day. I put the underwater camera down again and there it is. It's laying on the bottom 
and I got a bunch of good footage of that one this year. So pretty wild. So that tells you, I mean, that fish definitely moves around a bunch, but at the end of the day, it did exactly what it did a year ago. And, and I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah. That stuff's always interesting with muskies, how, how they like have a home range and they stay in certain areas. Yeah. Certain times of the year, they go back to the same spots. Yep. Yeah. If only it was that easy to just pinpoint them all and just catch them, you know, like, okay, X, Y, Z fish is going to be here on this day. You know, <laughs> I don't know what that's like at all. <laughs> I know we need radio trackers on all of them. Yeah. Yeah. I, I get a map weekly, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> summertime everybody does if you want one yep but that's over well the problem is is that that map does chase no good because the water temps are too high anyway so but it is interesting to see how those fish transition that's for sure i i find i mean i've talked to chase a ton about that study and i know that we're going to bring them back on the show here at some point once that study's final um with some of the results of what they've learned it's pretty wild that's for sure you know, like going going through talking about all this stuff, it, it always makes me think that like musky anglers are always looking for, you know, like like almost like a roadmap or a, you know, like an instruction manual. Like, okay, if the fish does this, we need to do this, that kind of stuff. And you know, as we talk about it, how everybody's got their own interpretations, everybody's got their own different stuff that they do, and but that's kind of how muskies are. You know, no none of them are all the exact same. No situation is exactly the same. No season's the exact same. So you always just got to keep you know, poking around and playing around a little bit. And it seems like with, you know, musky anglers, it's like they're, and maybe it's just, you know, people in general, we're just looking for like, like a roadmap, you know, and there's just no real roadmap for muskies. We're always giving out, we're trying to give out information, but they're all just generalizations, you know? Yeah, for sure. They are the hardest fish to catch. So I guess that was makes them so fun. If they bit like pike, everybody or nobody would do it (laughs) or everybody would do it. One of the two, but. It wouldn't be as much fun, I guess. It's just funny. Many years as I've been doing it, I feel like every year I learn so much more. You never stop learning. If you stop learning, you die. So it's because the fish and the fisheries are always changing. Yeah. I'm like, I like. I've always said this. I don't think anyone's ever going to figure out the sport. If they say they have figured out everything about a muskie, I think they are crazy. Uh, there's no way. They, all the, the fish just adapt. You Just like you said with the beaver, it's a new bait and seems to be a lot of people catching on it. Well, you catch them on a medusa all the time, they quit eating the medusa. So then you throw a bulldog. Well, then you start catching on a bulldog. It's just you're always changing baits, techniques, everything, spots. It's Everything is always changing in this game. And, and you got to always be changing with the fish to continually be on fish and put fish in the bag. It's definitely what makes the sport fun. It's a challenge of it. Well, the muskies rewrite the muskie rule book every day. I mean, that's the what I figured out. There is no, there's a generalizations to go with, like September fish shallow, but if you're not getting any action. Don't be scared to go out deeper in the mid depth. I mean, they're these fish do what they want to do, and you just gotta follow them around and try to find them. There's a muskie rule book. Yeah, I have it. Where can I get one? At? I'll, I'll give you that website. <laughs> Man, I was left out on that one. That sucks. <laughs> I keep it real secretive. <laughs> Brad, you can buy that on my website. We got them all over the place. <laughs> I got these on. That's Perfect Team time. Rhino for you. I need one too then. <laughs> yeah. Well, but why? Should... Jake just said it doesn't matter anyway. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Carrie, it's a reference point. 
So, guys, one thing that we didn't talk about, you know, we talked about throwing all different kinds of baits, mostly bucktails when it came to this figure eight portion. But let's talk about top water in figure eight. And why don't you guys shoot off and rattle some some info out about how you deal with the top water when it comes to a figure eight? Um, that is one thing where I kind of go against my figure eight. I will do more ovals with top water. It seems like you do two two turns or whatever it's real easy to cut that bait off with top water just because you don't have the pull of the water kind of letting that bait you know swing it out but um yeah it's uh i will never go underwater with a top water lure ever again after i saw a 50 incher do almost flipped around once i went underneath the water with it it i always will keep it on top now i definitely believe in that but you fish a lot of top waters chase we'll let you go um yeah, not not as like you guys, but I've done quite a bit of it. I've caught them under the under the water with topwaters a lot, um, and on top. But like I said, my number of topwater fish is a lot smaller than yours. But one thing I do, I will say about topwater that might help you is is even before you get on that figure eight, if you see that fish waking up on that bait, uh, a lot of times you can just stick your rod to the left as far as you can. What continue reeling and you stick your rod to the left and then you stick your rod to the right and what that does is make that bait zigzag on the surface and uh actually me and brad were out just the other day and we had a a super nice fish uh came up on a low rider and i, I did the same thing and and when i turned left she kind of stopped and when i turned right she just put the heaters on and t-boned that bait and it was amazing uh and it's just a classic thing to do if you see one on top water that's something that you can do before you even get to the figure eight and a lot of times they'll eat on that but the figure eight uh is you can put it underwater you can put it on top water but uh, i would take more advice from these guys here about the actual figure eight with the top water i mean we get a good a lot of chances to fish top water here in minnesota but the fishing top water like chase said moving your rod left and right that's an awesome trick you have to be very careful with that. You have to practice that because you cannot change the cadence of that bait. The idiosyncrasies of the cadence change on top water are so important. Um, so when I get a follow, the first thing I'll do is change my speed, but it's a, like two cranks and it's just this tiny little bit of difference in speed. You don't want to just, oh, there's one and start burning your top water. Uh, when you see that fish come up behind your bait, give it 10 feet, doesn't eat it. Just speed up that tiny little bit. If that doesn't work, go right back to your cadence. If the fish starts to fade off, maybe try slowing down a little bit. If that doesn't work, then try your direction change. So you have to you have to think about all this pretty fast. But those tiny little speed changes is my first step. Then the left and right is my second step. As I come into the figure eight, like Jake said, uh, I don't go down unless the fish is down. It's very rare for me to go underwater at the top water, like maybe twice a year. But if the fish is down four feet, I will do it. If the fish is on the surface, I never go under the water, ever. If it's within two feet of the top of the water column, I will not, of the surface, I will not go underwater with my top water bait. And that first turn is huge, so I swing super wide left, come into that L, and then I will do an oval as well. I caught one yesterday on the top water in the oval, but I'll cut the corner a lot of times. So I'll do those direction changes, the left and right that Chase was talking about. That's what I do in the L turn, or in the oval. So I did that yesterday. I did the oval wide. She sped up. I sped up and then cut hard into me and she ate it. So just those quick direction changes on the surface are big. Um, you can cut a 90 degree corner when you're doing top water figure eights. And that for me usually is what triggers them. So just a full, it, it looks bad. You would never do it with a bucktail, but it works with top waters. How about you, Brad? 
I would agree with what you said, man, for sure. And I think you, you hit it, you teed it right up there. If you turn really, really tight, it's one bait that you can cut the corner in a figure eight and it does not matter. And a lot of times they freak out when they lose sight of it because they're not only dealing with the sight, they're dealing with a bunch of racket and noise in the water. And I think it fires them up. Yeah. Those quick direction changes on the surface are, I think the best way to catch them. So. Hey, quick question for you guys. Back when I first started musky fishing, like the weagle was all the rage and it was, you know, that side to side walk the dog top water thing was it. And you guys even throw those anymore? I mean, not necessarily weagle, but side to side top water baits. I, I love them to locate fish. Not that you can't catch on them because you can. I would say when it comes to top water, it's probably the least best uh, hooking percentage, but. You know, you really got to hold your mud when it comes to walking the dog on, on the surface. It's kind of like glide baits. You know, they're great for locating as well. You're going to catch some fish on them. At the end of the day, I think it's probably the most dangerous top water to be throwing as far as getting good hookups. Yeah, and certain ones are way better than others. So you kind of got to run through your... I have two favorites that I always have way better hookups than the other ones, it seems like. But Chase just asked me this question the other day. Would you throw a lot of walk the dog baits? And I said, I actually do in September, especially, but I do it on these days where stuff starts to warm up and you lose your super hot screaming in cold front fish that are eating prop baits, that fast prop baits and burning bucktails. And it just seems to kind of shut down, but those fish are still in that, you know, or they'll slide out to that mid range stuff, that four to six foot cabbage out of those shallow sand flats. And that's when I love walk the dog baits in September, especially if you have, that cold front sun comes out and it almost goes a little bit calmer. Just like there's something in me where I just like, I need to throw a walk the dog now. And it usually only happens in September. Um, when I throw them in July and August, um, it's usually to find fish. Fish like to follow them. They don't always eat it. And they're also good on opener. I really like them early spring. I see Brad shaking his head. We do good on walk the dogs early in the year. Opening week seems to be good, but yeah, I don't know. I, I definitely don't throw them like I throw prop baits, if that answers your question. I think there's a seasonal progression with topwater as well. I know uh, back in the day when Musky Buster was still around, the Super Humper was like my go-to in the month of June. And, and it's so weird. I mean, it had a rubber tail. It really chugs with a deep, deep sound. Um, and as the year progresses, I start going more towards the, the tailed prop baits. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, I want to thank everybody for coming out and talking to us. You know, Matt, Chase, Jake, Brad, Carrie. It's always good to get a bunch of people on, giving different ideas, opinions. Hopefully, somebody learns something about catching fish either on top water or figure eighting. And, you know, that period that we're in right now, we're in that early September or mid September now, early fall period. I want to thank all of our listeners for continually supporting Backlash Podcast. And we'll catch everybody with a new episode again next week.